I'm sure that was a great introduction. Thank you very it much. Was a introduction. I said that, you know, I, somebody <laughs> came and told me I was on you, but it wasn't you. You're the technologist. You're the one supposed to do that. I was doing this. You were not paying attention. We're going to act like you weren't ever here. Let's hold on a second. We're going to try this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So deja vu all over again for those of you uh, who know uh, knew the, the line. All right. One more time. Joseph here. Uh, I'll put me on the screen this time too. We'll, we'll, make, it, we'll make it a, a total experience. Uh, Joseph it. here to talk to you about my friend Joe Tenzar. Uh, I'll even I'll even mute him so that he doesn't say anything untoward to me about how terrible that opening was. So here's what I said in case you didn't read my lips the first time round. Um, Joe Tenzar is a person that I talk to probably four or five times a week. Uh, no one else uh, gets that uh, from the people that I've interviewed today. Joe and I have been very closely working together with Sunny's Barbecue restaurants throughout the years and a lot this last year as that brand did a remarkable job leveraging its technologies to be ahead of the power curve for its industry. Um, we're going to talk to Joe about his evolution as a you know, chief information officer and really what a pedigree in hospitality going back to Marriott Vacation Club moving in from there into the world of Ripley's International, being the CIO over at Hard Rock and his work at Sunny's and his ability to help you if you're in the hospitality industry, come up with the right technologies that you need to, to position yourself for the future. All right, now let's pretend that was the real start and let me welcome Joe Tenzar. Well, thank you, Dr. Michelle. It's always a pleasure, sir. Didn't I, didn't I say right before this that technology gremlins were terrible? Last night I was supposed to do a live stream and we had a, uh, a tornado here right in my neighborhood. Cars got flipped around and oh, wow. I kept putting up little banners that said, when the power comes back, we'll be on. And after a while, I just abandoned the ship. So oh, I think no. the live on today. Thanks so much for being here. Let's talk about that journey that I alluded to just minutes ago, the, the journey to technologist. Uh, when you were a kid, was this your thing? You were going to be uh, somebody who was going to use technology to better the world? No, of course, I was going to be an astronaut like everyone else. Um, no, it, it was it sort of came from being good in math. And, you know, there, if you read the outliers, uh, and I'm sure you have, uh, you realize that you just become you, be, you, be, you get put into these situations that kind of alter your life. And what happened was I was one of two guys that were good at math and uh, we got to. Uh, learn computers because of that. And it was in, I would say, 1978 or 79. So it was the Apple II. It was before even the tablet, Apple IIe. So it was really, really early in in uh, kind of personal computers. And I just you know, took it after school. And, and um, so by the time I was done with, uh, with middle school, I was taking college classes and programming and things and before high school and then, you know, kind of continued that on. Um, so it was not, not my original choice, uh, you know, architect, you know, astronaut, fireman, whatever, but, um, but I'm glad I'm in it for sure. And again, right place, right time. I've uh, been very fortunate over the years to have some, some great, uh, great roles with some amazing companies and learned a whole heck of a lot. Well, you know, one of the things that, that's interesting, I think, for you is you've become more and more and more strategic along that journey, right? So early on, you're the doer, the the technician of the thing. And and now you're at a point where you lead strategy for Sunny's Barbecue Restaurant, where I know you, but you're also very much involved in helping other brands in the hospitality space. And even though your brand is restaurant CIOs, this really transcends just the restaurant industry to the totality of hospitality, including, you know, your background work in places like Marriott. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, um, yeah, I was in hotels uh, with Marriott. Uh, again, it was a programming gig. It was when the web was really early. Um, it was in, in its infancy on kind of the marketing side of websites. So we, um, I, I led a team that put together some reservation systems and things like that for the Marriott Vacation Club. Uh, then that's where I became a generalist. After that was done, um, I just got to you know, work with multiple programmers and multiple project managers and sort of kind of make sure that the right people were in the right place. So it became a little bit more strategic there from a, um, you know, resource management and, and uh, you know, the, the value of time and, and making sure that resources were trained appropriately and we onboarded people. And so it was all of that sort of generalist stuff. And um, so when I left Marriott, uh, I went to a, a this, is, this is fun, I went to a workers' compensation management company, which everyone dreams about when they're a young kid. Uh, unfortunately, uh, um, I, I got there in about three months and I said, I think I need to find something a little bit more interesting. And, and uh, so, so that's what happened there. Uh, so that, but that was my first CIO gig. So that, and that was uh, early 2000, 2001, I think I was, became CIO for the first time. Um, and that was indoctrination by fire and was thrown in and had to all of a sudden do things that CIOs do and, you know, become a strategic thinker and start aligning the business with, you know, the objectives of the business with technology roadmaps and, and doing all that kind of stuff. And certainly um, I don't think I was a great CIO in my first gig. I don't think maybe, maybe some people are, but I wasn't. And, um, but I got, I was fortunate after I realized that wasn't the place for me to, uh, the, to have a recruiter bring me into Ripley's and Ripley's was my start in, uh, you know, Marriott was hospitality for sure, but I was more on the website. Ripley's was a just all-encompassing entertainment company. It's ticketing, it's F and, it's food and beverage, and it's you know it's it's uh, it's sightseeing trains and it's aquariums and it's you know it's all sorts of different things that you've got to kind of blend together and take information and understand what to do with it. And so that was a it was a great group of people and a lot of fun. I uh, did that for. Uh, four or five years and then um, and I didn't want to leave because the people were just so awesome and uh, again was recruited away and uh, ultimately they told me it was hard rock and I said oh wow okay so having my my musical background and you know being a long-haired 80s rocker in the day I figured this would, might be a good place for me to hang out for a little while I uh, spent again seven years with with hard rock as their global CIO and that was a, a fantastic journey um, you know dealing with you know the two billion dollar company versus you know the the smaller company. So you, you get a you get a little feel for how things work at different levels and the politics of those things. And again, how to move the needle without necessarily having you know the, a seat at the table at first, right? So you know, understand how to how to influence people and how to how to make decisions based on value and how to sell that value to the people who are who are holding onto the purse strings. So that was a really good seven years to really hone my skills as a CIO. And, um, and, you know, they, there were some changes at the organization and, uh, you know, a, a good friend of mine had left Hard Rock uh, about a year earlier before me and told me about this Sonny's thing where they just needed someone to help them guide them through technology. And I met with Bob, the owner, and, you know, three, four hours later, as you know, Bob, uh, you know, he, he could talk and he's a great guy. It was so much fun hanging out with him. And we came back and talked to him again. And I think the third or fourth time I said, should I have a jacket or a tie on? Because this is an interview. I have no idea. So it was it was a really, you know, it started out in a relationship that that um, the Yarmouth family and I have had for uh, seven years now. And what a, an amazing group of people to work with, amazing culture. And, and I managed to hold on to that as you know, as my my roots and my core, while I am have the opportunity to go off and do some other things as well. And we'll talk about kind of the breadth of things that you've done over there. But you know, I think if the average person who's listening, wherever you're listening from today, if you just wouldn't mind 
just letting us know where you're listening from. I always appreciate that and where you're tuning in from. Herb, thanks for uh, Herb Schumann uh, was kind enough to let me know that I need to unmute my mic. Uh, if I only were paying attention <laughs> to my own show, that would have been a helpful information. Uh, but now I see it and I, I completely agree with you, Herb. You have um, to mute too. Yeah, right. <laughs> to go to your, uh, to, to go to your um, kind of the, the conversation, I think has the broadest appeal is probably the future of restaurants. And I might want to start there a bit. And then I promise we'll pull back on what does the CIO have to do with it. But I, I think in many ways, Restaurants that are dying today did not adopt the right amount of technology. And I, I can, I mean, I, I commiserate with every business owner, small business owner, mid-sized business owner, trying to figure out how much do I invest in technology? What's the return on technology investment? And some of them were probably on the light side. Um, and man, was there a price to pay? So can you talk a little bit about what were the, the learnings in 2020 about technologies and then maybe a little forward look at the future of restaurants and hospitality, maybe even more broadly. Sure, sure. I, I think, um, you know, as far as uh, what 2020 brought us, I think brought, 2020 sort of accelerated what was probably going to happen anyway. And, um, you know, it was with contactless payments, with understanding your guests better, with with re, uh, increasing your, your distribution channels for selling food and, and beverage. Um, hospitality, can't speak too much about that. I haven't been uh, heavily involved in hotels since COVID. Um, but from the restaurant side, it's, it's a whole new world. I've never been a CIO to put in technology for technology's sake. So it's never been chase the shiny object and um, just because your neighbors have it. It's, we really go down to what is your, the value of that technology and how is it going to help you achieve your objectives uh, going forward? And those folks who thought about that ahead of the COVID pandemic, um, you know, we're way ahead of the game. And, um, and you know, fortunately with Sunny's, as you know, we, we keep talking about, Sunny's, we've been building a core there for, well, almost seven years now for, you know, starting with, you know, information gathering at the, at the cloud level and, and being able to share that and learn from that information and add and add and add and add to a point now where we're prescribing behavior um, based on, on all of the information that we have about our guests and about our sales and about our distribution channels and all that stuff. Um, in the future, that's going to be vital. I mean, that's going to be where restaurants survive. If restaurants don't understand their customer and, and the behavior of their customer, they're not going to, to compete against, at least long term, against their competitors. Um, you know, there's a lot of disruption right now with third party delivery, as I'm sure everybody's heard about. Um, that, that can be very dangerous to restaurants. And um, if anyone understands what happened with Amazon, when Amazon you know, started gathering data, which is what now third-party delivery companies are doing, uh, realize what the behavior of their consumers are and say, for example, someone buys a, uh, you know, a lightning cable. And um, by the way, uh, you know what I see 40% of people buy lightning cables. I'm going to start a lightning cable company. And this is actually one of them. It's an Amazon basic lightning company. Third-party deliveries got the same thing in mind, whether or not they're going to admit it or not, and some sort of have. Um, but they're basically saying that I will understand, I will retain that customer. They'll be my customer. I'll serve them your food. I'll understand their behavior. And then uh, when I realize that they may not need you, <laughs> your barbecue, they may, they just want barbecue, then I'll put John's barbecue up there as a you know, third-party delivery marketplace. And all of a sudden I own your customer and I'm serving a barbecue and, and bye-bye restaurant. So there are some dangers that you, you know, that are, that are kind of, you know, starting right now uh, that we've got to pay attention to uh, from from, a, you know, the future is 
it, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about future. You, you know, distribution channels, ghost kitchens. Uh, there's a lot of lot of buzzwords that are out there right now. It really goes back to uh, who do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, what what is the what are the objectives of your of your restaurant? Uh, I was listening to a podcast this morning. Um, the president of uh, Bartaco and uh, or Bartaca, it's Barcelona. They they keep they get bought or something. But he was he was talking about they are just committed to experiential dining. You know, they they have technology and they as soon as this is over, technology's going away again. We're going to be experiential dining. We're super high touch. We want to know our customers intimately. All that kind of stuff. Um, they're not transactional dining brand, and they've committed to that. And a lot of people basically said, "Hey, you know what? We're going to change. We're going to be a transactional dining company because look, we're actually having some success in that area." The problem with that, if you don't take it seriously, or if you if you don't if, if you don't think far enough ahead on that, is you may become the third-party delivery marketplace's next acquisition, or or you know, someone else will put that food together if your food isn't as unique as it needs to be. So let me let me try to let me try to get in the head of you know somebody who's you know listening in or if you share this with someone we we have some uh, some incentives for you to do that if you know somebody who's in the restaurant industry who's really trying to figure out what's the right size technology to get them to the next year uh, the next month uh, right now it, it it was amazing how quickly you were able to get Sunny's to pivot to online. Um, you know, online ordering. I you were well in that slipstream uh, going into it, but you were able also then to help with. Yeah, and it's not all you. I don't. I'm not trying no, to take it away. From you. But <laughs> but in collaboration with your colleagues, to be able to go to curbside dining, uh, to be able to have the right amount of technology to manage the the volume in a restaurant when there was restaurant capacity. I mean, mm -hmm. to me, there are a lot of third party solutions out there that a CIO has to work with. And then what I also saw happening was there was a lot of needing to work with those third parties to make sure that what they brought to the table really met your needs and wasn't some kind of out of the box solution that had lots of bells and whistles, but didn't accommodate the, the critical urgent now problem. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about maybe how do you decide of all the things you can do? And I heard you speak to it a little bit earlier and kind of your objectives, but how do you decide on a few technologies and then how do you get the partners to work with you to, to get what you need. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because there's so much you want to do and there's so many technologies that could do it. So it's, it's really just prioritizing your objectives and, and understanding where you want to be. And I, like I said, when you, where your restaurant wants to be when they grow up I and mean, what is, are you, are you trying to get through a period of time like COVID put us in, or are you trying to say, all right, where, where do we want What do we want to do when we, you know, in 10 years down the road? I mean, do we still want to be the same brand we are understanding where trends are and things like that? I mean, it, it's a, you know, the technology, uh, the, the, I guess the key to um, being agile in technology is, is starting agile, right? It's putting the core in there, which is your transaction engine. In, in the restaurant world, it's called the point of sale. It's a, it's a point of purchase system that just allows transactions to take place. If that is flexible enough and open enough, then I can plug in anything I need to, to, to suit the circumstances very, very quickly. And that's what Sunny's had the capability to do because we, you know, four, five, six years ago, we implemented a system that was very open. And if you're, you're open, it's basically called innovation at the endpoints. If, you know, I, I don't know what's coming now, the, the pike next year. I don't know in five years what's going to happen. But if I have a way to get in and out of that system very easily um, with, without a lot of roadblocks, a lot of friction, then I, it doesn't matter, right? I'll just 
consume the data and I will give data back and we're call it a day, but it achieves those objectives, whether they're short-term or long-term. But the long-term objective should certainly be to have a core open architecture to be able to allow that to occur. Well, and with that, I mean, with that architecture was the ability for Sunnies to be competitive. So this is a, for those of you who don't know, about 120 or so uh, franchise chain, predominantly in the, uh, the southeastern portion of the United States. Um, very successful barbecue restaurant brand, uh, highly sought after in Florida. It's really connected to the Florida experience, if you will. And but it's a it's a dine-in brand for all practical intents and purposes. Uh, pretty good sized restaurants have been built uh, in the Sunny's franchise, and and yet, like so many others, it had to compete against really the fast casual sector. And the beauty was because of the right technology and an agile leadership team that could pivot so quickly, they literally were competitive, very competitive, like top tier competitive with these casual, you know, fast food types of restaurants. And, and that's a testament to having the vision of strategy to anticipate the unanticipatable, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just become is be agile. You know, be be innovative. And innovative isn't just thinking about cool things. It's actually you know implementing cool things, um, things that are you know forward facing and looking. And um, we're very we're very intentional about the things we do. Um, you know, at Sunny's and with other, my other clients with restaurant CIOs, it's it all starts with um, you know an assessment of what the objectives of the company are, and that could be you know, a five-year plan, that could be just what we want to accomplish in 2021. You know, we just went through uh, the strategic planning for Sunnies, and that was all based on 2021 objectives because we wanted 2021 not to be, we're throwing a whole bunch of new stuff at you. It's let's get better at what we do and let's really concentrate on that. So all of our objectives were associated with just refinement and understanding uh, guest sentiment and, and improving upon that by just doing what we do, but doing it better, right? So it's not throwing a whole bunch of new stuff out there. It's just doing it right. Um, you know, we did open up new channels. Uh, curbside is one of them. And, um, you know, we'd never done curbside before. Curbside basically pick up. So when you, you, know, you order online and you go park in a spot and someone brings you out your food and a lot of people are, are doing that today, certainly uh, we never, we had never done that before. And, uh, you know, we, we owe a lot of the success of, you know, of that whole period of COVID to that. And, um, it was a tough pivot. I mean, it's a tough operational pivot. Uh, you know, you, how you deal with, with taking people's payment. Well, they most, a lot of these people paid online, but some people just parked outside and we you know, ordered out there and then take care of card inside. And so there's a lot of stuff we had to solve immediately. And we, we were able to do that pretty quickly. Um, but with strategic uh, planning, it's, you know, with, with the brands we go through, we, we work with, it's about, um, you know, it, it's about understanding those, those long-term objectives, breaking those down into little consumable pieces, prioritizing those things. And a lot of the brands that we work with don't have 50 people in IT. They have one or two people in IT. So it's really starting to make the case that, you know what, if you want to accomplish all this stuff, you might need more people. So you know, it's, it's everything out there, right? It's, it's, it's security and it's, it's network. It's this stuff that's not fun. And then it's the, the bright and shiny things like, you know, online ordering and contactless payments and loyalty programs and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's, you've got to understand that sometimes you can't get to the, the fun, shiny stuff, stuff until you shore up some of the other stuff. And so that's so what let's, we let's, let's step away from science for a minute. Let's imagine that I reach out to you at restaurant CIOs and how big do I have to be? How you know, I'm probably not big enough to have my own CIO in-house, right? right. Or, or if I did, I somehow think I'm going to have a more cost-effective option 
to, you know, to engage you. So I guess I want to take that whole thing. Like what's the right size client for restaurant CIOs? And then what, what's going to happen when I reach out to you? I mean, are you going to sit with me and help me figure out what my strategy is and where, you know, IT fits in? And are you going to do that ugly stuff for me? Like making sure my transactions are safe and secure? Or, I mean, where does it go? Yeah, it can go anywhere. So the size company is, um, you're right. It's, it's somebody who probably is realizes that either they didn't perform as well as they thought they might or should have. Um, and or someone who says, you know, they're maybe a fledgling, fledgling brand that now has, let's say, you know, 15, 20 stores and is really going through this, this growth pain. Um, they can't, you know, if you go out and hire a CIO at a company that size, um, you're going to overtitle most likely because anybody who's a, a, a seasoned CIO is going to cost you way too much than you can probably afford. And it's going to be, um, you, you're going to also have them fixing printers because you, you have one or two people in your IT group, right? So um, CIOs at that level don't want to fix printers um, or know how to fix printers or networks or whatever, right? They're, they're all about the strategic alignment stuff. So we, we looked at our, our, sweet spot really are mid-sized restaurant companies. It's, you know, it's usually restaurants, sometimes will go as low as 10, but it's usually, you know, 20 to 150 restaurants is, is our sweet spot. And that's, that is, the, those are the restaurants that fall into that group of, um, I really need strategic thinking. I need alignment. I, there are some big problems here that we've got to solve. I don't know how to get there. Um, and, and we've got a good maybe director of IT in that can really manage projects well or does support well, but, can't really get us to the next level. That's where we come in, and we'll, you know, the the initial assessment. We'll go in there, and again, it's very important for us to understand what your company's objectives are, uh, the specific data around, you know, the sales and and how you operate and what your, you know, what you uh, do, do. You want to be an acquisition target? Do you want to, you know, be a, you want to remain a family-owned business? How that all plays into it, and then we basically say, all right, here's your. We'll understand where you want to go. We'll understand your current technology stack, and then let's figure out what that gap is between the two. Then we'll get together and we'll say, uh, all right, you've got, this is your list of things that you told me you wanted to do. This is where you are today. So we're there's some big chunks of work in here generally. Let's prioritize those things, knowing that we've got a limited amount of resources here. Or we say, look, if, this is, if these three things are super important to you and you have two people in your IT group, let's figure out a way to outsource some of that stuff to get it done quicker. So, so it's the resource management, but it's all about aligning that technology roadmap to where you want to go. So um, it, it, we, what we do is we become a long-term, we basically, people call us their CIO. So hey, when, when I, I'm on calls, I'm introduced as the CIO for many of my clients. And it's, it's I am their CIO. I mean, I know their business. I know the players. I understand how things move in the organization. I understand their capabilities. And now I can help them make these big decisions and, and have create these strategic plans and without them you know, having to train up or hire someone full time that is probably too heavy on the, on the uh, P&L. So uh, yeah, without trying to over justify your existence, right? Like I wouldn't want to have to do that if anybody put me on the spot. Um, but in a general sense, the kinds of returns on investment. So one that I just think of as I watch you work at Sunny's is if we were to go out without you, like if we didn't have you in our corner and I, I always, I'm like you, like, like they're part of me. Um, though I think you're officially on payroll and I'm a consultant. So, um, but, but suffice it to say that, that they're, they're, I'm an extension of them or they're an extension of me. And when Sunny's goes out and tries to um, get a new technology and I won't, I won't, 
reference any particular one. Uh, there'll be three or four vendors that are qualified that understand the, the requirements. And, and if we were to negotiate with any of them, there will be nothing we would be able to do that you can do. I mean, I've really watched the numbers, uh, you know, very carefully. And, you know, these people come in at a price point and by the time you're done, you know, it's maybe a third or some cases it seems almost like a half. And sometimes it's a trial where we would feel obligated to negotiate a longer term contract. There's just so many ROIs on this, but I'd love for you to, Kind of build off of that and tell me what you think is the reason somebody should invest in a CIO when they're thinking, man, how am I going to even keep the lights on or the servers working? Sure. Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. One is been there, done that, right? I mean, you know, we've got uh, five CIOs now uh, within restaurant CIOs that have run brands that are global, you know, huge global brands and much smaller brands and any, anywhere in between. So we've got an amazing, you know, repertoire of of fast casual, quick serve, casual dining, you know, fine dining, all of that stuff. And, you know, and then of course, hospitality and entertainment and all that kind of stuff. So it's been, we, we've got a lot of people that have been there, done that. We work together to collaborate on some of these bigger issues that come up. As far as contracts and negotiating and, and procurement and selection and things like that, that is a, you know, it's a little bit of secret, there's no secret sauce, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit of, uh, relationships be with the vendors that we've we've built over the years. I mean, we know just about every vendor that exists in the restaurant technology space at the president's level, right? So, um, so we know we've seen a lot of people buy certain technologies, and we know what a good price point should be. If you're a big brand, if you're a small brand, we understand there's a difference when when you're trying to sell technology. But we have a rough idea, right? So when somebody pulls out list price. Chances are we can do a little better than that for sure. Um, but it's also about, you know, how, who works together, right? This, this technology partner here and this one over here, um, you know, without our knowledge of, all right, these guys are, I, I've seen the, the way they connect. I've seen how effective they are connecting. Um, those are probably good choices for you to connect with, right? We don't play favorites on the vendors. We look at, you know, what your circumstances are, what type of restaurant you are, what segment you are, how big you are, uh, what, you know, if you want to be, you know, if you're, if you're sensitive to price or if you're, you know, if you want to offer you know, super experience, all those things. And we say, um, you know, we, we know who the, the players are in that space and, um, and multiple players in that space. If you want to go to a full RFP and, you know, six months of, of making sure that we're making the right decision. In some cases that makes perfect sense. Other times we'll say, look, there's only two people in the, in the, in the world that do what we're trying to achieve here. Let's have a demo of both of them. I've seen them both work. Uh, I think either one would be great to you. Which one would you prefer? And let's just pull the trigger on it. So it's, it could save potentially it could save months and tens of thousands of dollars that way. Which again, given the way things have been moving with consumer behavior, <laughs> you could, that ship could have sailed by the time <laughs> you pull the trigger on it. And then yeah. again, you, you not having a guide, you can be lured into some really cool demos that don't necessarily manifest uh, on the backside. In fact, I, I'm on a board of a technology uh, company uh, where we're just trying to solve for the fact that, you know, implementation times are a bit, you know, of a challenge. So, you, you know, we've got to get that uh, lined out, right? And you wouldn't necessarily know that um, when you see the demo, right? Um, so there is a, there's a skill and a understanding of the players and the reputation of the players. And there's just so much to this that I think sometimes we, we think we can do it on our own or without the investment and the learning costs are way too high. Yeah. I mean, there's a, you know, you've got to understand the company, you know, the, the, 
um, the viability of the company long term. You've got to understand um, what their support arm looks like, what their you know how well they're financed. Uh, you know if they're um, you know if they've got you know three engineers and six hundred salespeople. I mean all those things we you, know, you have to understand before you make a decision like this. You call customers. And we we've got a lot of customer clients, so we we've got a lot of those. But a lot of cases, if you don't have the ability to you know to tap on another CIO across the hall, you basically have to go out and call the references and, and it takes a while for that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're going to give you the best references, but you got to get to seek out people that, uh, that, you know, you know, are on their system that may not have be on their vendor list or on their reference list, because those are the people who are probably going to give you the best information. So not everyone who's going to view this is going to have a restaurant of 10 to 140 uh, restaurants in their chain. So let's talk about something we all have in common. We all like to go out to eat, though. Uh, that, that's been a little bit more challenging in 2020 than it has ever been before. Uh, what's 2021 and beyond look like from a person who spends a lot of time imagining the world of restaurants, uh, you know, at increments of time out on the horizon? You know, I, no one's going to say this in any certain, you know, certainty, but, uh, you know, there's certainly some habits that, you know, there's some trends of, you know, off-premise dining has become a thing, right? It's been a thing, but now it's a thing for casual dining, right? And, and you know, Sonny's at, at one point, we were in the 99th percentile of casual dining um, because we offered food in a different way. Now, does that mean that Sonny should all of a sudden give up their dining rooms and, and now go complete off-premise? No, no, not at all. But it's going to be a particular part of our business going forward, for sure, because now our customers, because they've gone through this period of time where that's the only way they could do it, they may choose to continue to do it. And a lot of restaurants are gonna be in that situation. I think ultimately they're gonna be, um, you, know, and, and, you know, there's so many variables here. And I, on my strategic plan next year for Sunny's, I have, uh, oh, well, I think 10 or 12 models that we're gonna be building on. What if, uh, you know, people don't go to commercial real estate anymore and they stay close, they work from home. Where should you put restaurants then? What if people migrate from cities to rural because of, you know, infections. What I mean, there's a lot of things that, that go into this. Um, you know, if, if people are in metro market and they live in a metro market, real estate's super high. That's where ghost kitchens may or may not make sense, right? So you put the financial models together for that. I think ideally, um, and, and again, I, I I love referencing Amazon because because retail, especially online retail, it seems to be a really good predictor of what happens in some of the other industries, certainly consumer facing industries. And I think restaurants are one of those. So where I reference the Amazon basics cable that they, you know, they, they now control, um, third party delivery companies gonna be doing the same thing. But I also think that some of their distribution methods are gonna be followed in the restaurant world for heavy concentrations of people, whether that be residential or, or, or commercial, where, um, you'll have smaller footprint stores, maybe delivery only stores. And these are, these are what ghost kitchens are today, right? So you, you may or may not have heard this term ghost kitchen or, or virtual kitchen or dark kitchen. There's, they're all sort of the same thing, but in, in essence, they're taking either taking advantage of space that isn't being used as a kitchen, or they're creating a kitchen for multiple different types of food and different brands that all culminate under one roof. The delivery drivers go there. It's easy to get in and out of it. It's easy quickly to deliver to, to your, the, the people who are ordering this, to your customers. Um, I can see that being more and more prevalent for high concentrations of people. Drones have been, you know, I, I, I know it sounds kind of ridiculous, but 
um, you know, drones have been approved by the FAA, you know, for delivering things. I don't, you know, and, and some people are trying that today, right? And, you know, you got the Pizza Hut, who is basically a technology company selling pizza, um, doing things with robots and, you know, autonomous cars and things like that. It, it's all in anticipation of not really knowing exactly where the, where the future restaurants are going to go, but kind of hedging their bets and saying, look, we're going to be ahead of this no matter what happens. And seeing that, you know, if, if nothing else, it's, it's newsworthy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to think of, uh, you know, I, I think it was um, maybe in another country where they first started to do this because they didn't have some of the same regulations. But I remember this, one of these CEOs of a pizza company saying, you know, we're, we're, we're basically using a 3000 pound vehicle to deliver a two pound pizza, right? So right. What, what is the logic of that <laughs> from an efficiency perspective? But um, all right, so let's, we got ghost kitchens, we got drone technologies, but yeah, just I think it was two nights ago, I got a call from my son. He's in Colorado Springs, where I'm originally from. And he said, Dad, you're not going to believe Fargo's Pizza is a, it's, may go under. They closed and it looks like they're not going to open and they've been around forever. It's experiential dining. It's like it's generations of us have been raised in that place. I think right now there is general anxiety that a brand isn't going to make it. This has just been too much for too long for a lot of these brands. So what is the lifeline? You know, we can talk about the fantasy drone thing that may or may not be the lifeline. Sure. What's the lifeline for a lot of these brands that are right now gasping for survival? And as I share that, if, if you have a favorite brand, I'd love to see it in the comments. What would be the brand you'd like least to see, you know, clothes? I mean, I, to, just pop that in the comments. That'd be great. So, Joe, what's your uh, what's your thinking about the lifeline? Well, I think there are a couple, and I think if you're just now thinking of this, it's you know you're probably a little late to the game. I think this this hit most people probably in April, saying, okay, we're a full service, we're we're experiential dining, and uh, we can't sell our our dining room anymore. We can't we can't populate our dining rooms. So our guests can't eat. So they got creative and did, you know, they put their tables on the on the uh, in the parking lot and they started serving out food that way. Um, but if you don't have the channels established. For the consumers to buy, just expecting them to drive by and go into your parking lot isn't going to really help you. Um, there are some actually really good technologies now that plug in really quickly to any point of sale or just about any point of sale, like uh, OneDine, where you can, um, you know, it's it's a what is a Kindle Fire? I mean, it's like a hundred bucks, hundred and fifty bucks that you plug into your most point of sale systems that you already have, even if they don't have online ordering or or mobility or anything like that. Plugs right in. You can basically you're up in a couple of days, and you can now go to the car and serve people, or you can uh, do drive-through. Yeah, the, the uh, what I forgot what they call it. Where they have the little guest out or the the host out at the front of the drive-through line, like Chick-fil-A does. Um, you can do that just really quickly and, and spin that up. So there are companies that really have flourished during this period of time as a really quick plug-in on top of what you already have. Not rip and replace everything you have, but just augmentative technology that you can now use to at least get a little bit ahead of the curve, right? And and hopefully save, hopefully some of the things that you've lost over the last seven, eight months. You know, I talk a lot about the the valleys to rallies, you know, in, in history, whenever we've hit these valleys in any industry, there seems to be a rally on the backside. And it's kind of tragic for those who, who fell into the valley and never came out. But for a lot of other folks, the marketplace has changed, right? So uh, as there is a thinning out of some of the restaurants, there is opportunity because people at some point are going to be going back into restaurants in full force, right? That's inevitable. And with the vaccine on the horizon, as we, sh we share this 
meeting today. I mean, it seems that it's inevitable that if you can figure out how to be relevant to a future consumer, you're, you know, you may have less competition to sort through to get those consumers in your door. Yeah, and, but it's, it's thinking of all of the things, you know, and, and being quick to uh, make sure that your, your guests feel safe and secure. And, you know, all of those things are becoming real table stakes, right? You know, make sure you clean the tables when you're supposed to always wear your mask over your nose, um, you know, air filtration, all sorts of things like that. Um, you know, we may actually get you know, people are now becoming conditioned um, to uh, this whole non-contact thing. Right. So, you know, where we used to have smoking, non-smoking, it's possible that you could do, um, you know, contact, no contact dining. Who, who would have thought of that? I mean, you know, um, having the flexibility to think of those things ahead of those um, and being able to implement it pretty quick is probably pretty important. Now you can do it on a chalkboard or whatever, you know, your, your dry erase boards and stuff, but, um, but having tech that can handle that and understanding which guests want contact, which ones don't helps you understand which way to market to those guests. So uh, having that guest information and, and cultivating that information is super, super important for restaurants going forward. It's interesting because when you start thinking about technology, it has its place in the acquisition of customers, right? I mean, it's very involved there. It has its place in being able to run the operation. So all the backstage that makes the operation be effective. Uh, it, it's very integrated into the customer experience now. Everything like cashless is a particularly important part of the, or contactless uh, experiences, all very important parts of the experience delivery. It, you know, I, I'm not a believer that technology is a panacea, but then again, I don't know how anybody survived this year without it, right? Like, <laughs> I, I'm starting yeah. to rethink my position about technology. Yeah, and I, I, I can't think of a scenario where the opposite would occur, where technology wouldn't be as important at all. But I guess if power went out around the world, that might be something. But Well, last night when my power went out and when my meal was <laughs> out, I think technology was the problem. I mean, Today, but you know, last night I couldn't do anything without power. I had some squirrels that I corralled in the backyard and had them on a treadmill. They were doing nothing for Perfect. me. Perfect. All right, right. Let's, uh, let's, let's make sure people know how to get a hold of you uh, going forward. If they know someone who has a restaurant, maybe they think they're even too small, maybe they're onesie, twosie, whatever it might be, it's still worth reaching out to Joe. Um, if they're not right, I'm sure they can find some contact that would be a resource for them. Um, but more importantly, if you know somebody who has a restaurant that's, you know, either in a position to, to launch on the backside of this or is teetering right now, uh, 10 restaurants or more, you might want to reach out to uh, two restaurant CIOs. I've been scrolling the banner like I was getting paid for it or something, you know. <laughs> Check the mail. Let's put the big one up there and stop the scroll. There we go. Like, a, like you're on a 24-hour news show or something. All right, so there you go. So that's how they get a hold of you. Tell, tell me uh, – what, uh, what will happen once they do, they reach out to you on the website, phone, whatever. Either way, we're, we're about to, we're redoing our website now. So it should be nice, shiny new in the next couple of weeks, probably So look for that. But um, yeah, there's a contact form on there. There's, you can do info at restaurantcios.com. Uh, you can get me at joe at restaurantcios.com. So I mean, any way to get us is, is easy. Uh, uh, 844-3C, no, wait, uh, 844-553-CIOs. Yeah, I have to remember my, hundred number. Well, they're gonna have to play that one back because uh, there's no. <laughs> exactly. right, it's, right. I don't, it, it's rare that actually people call. It's funny, you know. When you know, the technology, they probably expect that they can't get us on the phone because we're technology. Yeah, I know. It's, it, it, there's a little bit more of that going on. I've noticed uh, since the pandemic. All right, so let me. Uh, I told you it was gonna be a lightning round in the last five minutes, and it's actually gonna happen. I, unless the technology fails me, all of a sudden 
right now, but uh, hopefully it will happen. So lightning round, just react to these things as they uh, they come about. Don't overthink it. Uh, you don't win a prize or anything at the end. So uh, just you know, go for it as best we can. All right. So what's it like to be uh, a cover boy? <laughs> oh God, where'd you find that as an archive? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, everywhere. I didn't you know? I mean, this this thing is going. Yeah. On uh, eBay for like twenty five cents, I think. Yeah, you know, that is that is my opportunity to become um, you know a, a rock star because I couldn't do it on the stage, so I had to do it that way, I guess. Um, at least the, at least for just my fifteen minutes of fame. But um, uh, they're great people over hospitality technology. I was definitely an honor to be on that cover for sure. All right, so uh, let's see here. Here's one for you. I'm going to do this off mic because I want to make sure I get this right. I'm looking at it. Uh, so a fluorescent green flying V. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that way I did mention I was a long-haired 80s rock and roll guy, and that was my guitar choice. Played lead guitar in some 80s bands, and I had a flying, a fluorescent green flying guitar. I wish it was in this room, uh, but I would show it. But uh, it's. Right, I believe you. I truly believe you. Um, so <laughs> right, let's uh, let's go monocle or Google Glass. <laughs> I have them both. I generally use the monocle more um, it's because uh, I, I, I honestly, I was tired of wearing carrying glasses around. I, I, I'm blind in one eye, so I can only, I have to wear a contact in one eye. So, you know, I always end up winking at people and they, they you know, they get a little squirrely about that. So, so I do wear this uh, on occasion for reading and um, people always ask me, is that a monocle? What is that? You know, it's funny. It's just the reactions you get from it. But I do have Google Glass, glass and I use that for half a week and now it's packed exactly as I got it in its box, up on a shelf, and I'm waiting for the day when I can sell it for a million dollars. Now there is strategic technology. <laughs> Put it in the box and wait for it to become such a valuable relic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we all kind of got a little excited about that one. Uh, all right, let's, uh, Boy Scouts of America, just Boy Scouts in general. Yeah, I was a Cub Master, I was a, a secretary, um, I was a pack liaison. So yeah, I have two, two boys. One's now 15, one's 13. Unfortunately, they didn't want to go, go onto the, uh, you know, the Eagle Scout route, but they were both have really heavy Cub Scouts. And I, I love being a Cub Scout leader. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I like camping and things like that. Um, I like being, you know, dad jokes, all the, all the things that Cub Masters need to do. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the last one was a requirement of, um, you know, Cub Master. All right. Um, I, I would just say rocking chair looking at the lake. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, we just recently moved. So um, very blessed to, to live on a little lake in a tiny little town outside of Orlando. And um, I just sometimes I'll do calls out there because it's such a, a peaceful little place. So this is our place. We're hopefully going to be here forever. So um, we tried to build it. Build it right. <laughs> Good luck. Well, yeah, that's what uh, that's what the chief strategy officer currently titled of uh, Sunny's should be all about is the ability to build it, build it right, and to build it into the future. Uh, thank you, Joe, for really. You know, I, I I'm sad that my introduction was a little bit muffed up there because I, I do think I came from the heart with the, the magnitude of impact you've had on that particular brand, Sunny's. It has been a, a delight to work with you. I mean, it's not only. You know, there are people you work with and you just know they're smart. They're wicked smart um, and you envy their intellect and you you know their subject matter expertise. But you're not one of them. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But you truly, who have all that and they have the ability to, 
to just be gracious and engaging. And so I thank you for all of that. Hey, um, I will leave you with that. And uh, for the rest of you, I uh, just want to let you know that tonight we're on this, <laughs> this, assuming we don't have a tornado and I take myself off a mute, we will have book launch uh, day. We're doing 12 days to the launch of Stronger Through Adversity. Sonny's has a big play in this book, as a matter of fact, a couple of references to their incredible story. Tonight, though, I'm going to play a clip from Tony Shea, by the way. Tony, who I've known, who I, it's always hard to talk about him in the past, who I knew um, when I did the Starbucks, uh, the Zappos Experience book. He wrote the forward to the book. He and I worked together. Uh, he ended up doing Delivering Happiness. I waited on delivering my book to the marketplace so he could have a clear run at it. Um, and so anyway, uh, he, as many of you know, he died around Thanksgiving this year. Uh, he was, inter I interviewed him right before he left uh, Zappos uh, and I include him in Stronger Through Adversity. So these are never before seen clips of Tony Shea, kind of green room backstage stuff. It's gonna be on 545 tonight unless we have another tornado, which I'm not, I'm knocking on wood. It's not going to happen. Even if it is 2020, we're going to carry this stuff on until, oh, the 23rd is when we uh, get done with the uh, 12 days of book launch. Some pretty amazing guests are going to be on in the near future. Martin Lindstrom, Carmine Gallo on the Thursdays. Martin is the king of sensory marketing. Uh, he is the, he's the bomb. And his new book, The Ministry of Common Sense is coming out. Carmine Gallo, who has written books about communication styles of great leaders, including Talk Like Steve Jobs, a really great folks. So we look forward to having you join us for either tonight through the 23rd on the 12 days of book launch or every Thursday, 1230 to 115. If you want to forward this to someone, please let me know. And uh, in the process, uh, if you do forward it to someone, I'll be sending you a gift card uh, to one of my favorite brands, hopefully yours as well. So um, just forward this on to somebody who has a restaurant and then tell us that you did it and show us uh, in the social where you did it and we'll uh, get your information and send you a gift card. Thanks so much. See you soon.